So today we're going to explore a little bit more something that we read as Paul was in great humility sharing about him being the least of all the Lord's people in verse 8. But despite the fact that he sees himself as last in line among all those redeemed by Christ, he then says, but it was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Or said another way, I actually got the charge to go and share what had always been hidden in God, now revealed to me and to all of you, this big time idea and news that the Gentiles are entering into the covenant with God. They are now, as are all, God's treasured possession as the Jews were before him. And that now, through the church, through the body of Christ, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. As I mentioned earlier, this revealing is not just a revealing of a, hey, isn't this a nice little idea? It's the revealing of manifold wisdom. The word manifold is uh, polypoikolos, which is the idea of multicolored. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, Joseph's coat was described as polypoikolos, the, the multicolored coat or robe that was, was made for Joseph by, by his uh, father Jacob. And this, this multicolored, this variated, uh, this, this modeled, this diverse beauty of wisdom, this diversity of all God's people coming together is now doing what? It is doing something to send a message to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. I've got a, a, a message tonight that is entitled, The Cosmically Consequential Church. In other words, we make a difference at a cosmic level. We matter when we come together as the body of Christ at a level that goes so far beyond this here and now because we are sending a message to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. And, and this is all according to what? According to the eternal purposes that Christ accomplished for us. And if, if we just step back and, and appreciate what a big deal it is then that he's saying that, that we really are, it, it is now kind of, kind of a bit of a mind-blowing idea. And what if you knew that if tomorrow, when you woke up, you know, just as we're live streaming right now, and I think, whoa, we've got six followers right now. Wow, man, we're big time. But what if you knew that your life was live streamed tomorrow and there were thousands upon thousands, millions, perhaps trillions of people now peering in on your life? Think of how fired up certain YouTube live bloggers would be. To know that millions, if not trillions, now are giving them a platform to make some sort of a difference. Now, what if that were the case for you? I would hope that you would be fired up. 
They think, oh my goodness, me, me of all people, I get this opportunity to be able to make some sort of a message that might make some sort of a difference to, to not just thousands, but millions or perhaps trillions. Well, Okay, we're down to five now. <laughs> and yet, if, if we appreciate what Paul is trying to tell us of what we get to be as the church, as the body of Christ, as the realization of God's eternal purpose accomplished in Christ, well, then you realize that in the heavenly realms, you have that much consequence and that you are making a difference and you are sending a message. I'm going to circle back to this in a minute, but I just want us to appreciate what is being said because it's such an interesting phrase that, it, that this is being made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. It's a phrase that Paul has already used earlier in, in chapter 1. Where, where he's talking about all, all rulers and dominions and, and, and authority. Far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every name that is invoked. Um, that, that's a reference, though, by the way, to really to um, idols and demons and, and kind of uh, negative spiritual powers that the Ephesians were calling on. And if we remember from Acts chapter 19, when we studied that back in, in uh, December, we realized how, how they were always calling on the, these different names that they viewed as some sort of a cosmically uh, powerful entity of some sort or another. Matter of fact, later in Ephesians, Paul will write, and it will be quite interesting when we get to this, but he says, after telling us to to um, get ready to put on the full armor of God. Why? Because our struggle, this is Ephesians 6.12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's mind-blowing. Like, that is transcendent. That's cosmic stuff that Paul is trying to say to us. But in our everyday life, we tend to just kind of put our head down, put one foot in front of the other, and don't step back to recognize that what we're part of is really quite beyond anything that we could begin to imagine. And, but Scripture does give us more than a, than a few little looks at it for, from different times. And let me I'm going to take a little bit of a tour of just some of the Scriptures that give us a peek as to what it is that we're helping to contribute to as this great spiritual warfare goes on all about us. And even in the scriptures, there's this prayer of like, oh my goodness, if, if any of you could just have your eyes open for a minute, a second, how astounded we would be to see what it is that's really going on all about us. In 2 Kings, you can just listen as I, I share this part. But in 2 Kings, as the uh, Arameans are lining themselves up against Israel, Elisha's prophet gets up early in the morning. And he went outside, and this army was surrounding the city. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing right now from 2 Kings 6.15. So this army has surrounded the city, and it's just Elisha and his prophet. And he is uh, quite distraught. And he said to Elisha, Oh no, my master! What will we do? 
And Elisha replied, Don't be afraid, for those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he can see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw the hills were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That servant had his eyes open just for that little bit. Elisha, the man of God, who had already seen the chariot of fire take up his disciple and mentor Elijah, now recognizes that that one chariot of fire was just a little tip of the iceberg of the heavenly host. And even when I say that phrase, heavenly host, you think, oh, isn't that in a Christmas carol somewhere? It's a nice little anemic religious term, the heavenly host. It's not. The heavenly host refers to the very mighty army of God. It is the full contingent of all the warrior angels of God. And they are engaged in no small matter. And it is an ongoing struggle, more than we can begin to even appreciate. But yet it goes on, and it goes on for us, and it is as it goes on, it is affected and even encouraged by us along the way. I mean, let me tell you what I mean. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel prays an intense prayer. He is humble. He is confessing his sins, his dad's sins, all the people of God's sins. Amazing, humble prayer of real godly sorrow. And then before his prayer is over, then the chapter interrupts with this narrative. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, imagine this, while you're still in prayer, here's what happens. Gabriel, the man I had seen earlier in vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. And listen to this. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Wow. Imagine if we could just appreciate how much our prayers affect the spiritual battle. But from that humble prayer, some sort of a word went out through the heavenly realms, reached the right people, and Gabriel, kind of the chief messenger of God's people, was already dispatched before the final words were off of Gabriel's lips. And there are other times that Gabriel comes to Daniel as well, but sometimes it's not in such swift flight. And we know he also comes to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. And it's, it's, it's likewise, at, at just the right time, in just an important matter, as the spiritual battle is reaching a peak. But now in Daniel 10, here, here's, here's what is said. Daniel says, I was left alone. I'm reading in the middle of verse 8. I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left, because the vision was so overwhelming, I would imagine. My face had turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking. And as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep. My face to the ground. 
And then a hand touched me and sent me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said, this is likely Gabriel, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider the words I am about to speak to you. You know, we were laughing in staff meeting today when we were reading this, because this is like the exact way that Kirk ever ta- always talks to me. Kirk says, oh my gosh, Ed, oh my God, the words that are about to come out of my mouth right now, I can't believe I'm about to say these very words, and that they're going to come out from my diaphragm, pushed through my lungs, through my voice box, shaped by my lips, and perhaps my, 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 my labial and dentals will form some of these very sounds, and these sounds will come out through the air, and they will reach the, the, the eardrums of you and be processed, and all of a sudden we will make this connection. It's like, so what do you need to tell me? <laughs> These words that I'm about to speak to you. And stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Imagine angel saying that to you. But now, this is the, this is the most blind, mind-blowing thing I think I've, I've read in a while in Scripture. He continued and he said, Daniel, don't be afraid because from the first day that you set your mind to gain this understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. But now here's the mind blowing stuff as if all this hasn't been already. But the Persia, the prince of Persia resisted me 21 days. He doesn't mean a literal prince of Persia here, and I'll I'll show you why in a minute. He says, but the prince of Persia resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of our chief princes, you know who he's talking about, right? Chief is another way of of saying arch. Arche or, or, or chief is the same prefix in either Greek or Hebrew. It is Michael the archangel. That he's now talking about. And when he, did, he says, Michael, one of our chief princes. So in other words, he's using the word prince here to designate another angel. Alright, so that means that this angel of the Persian kingdom had resisted Gabriel 21 days. And somehow or another, even an angel as powerful as Gabriel, who is considered, in tradition anyway, rabbinical tradition, one of the seven archangels... The rest have names like Mutant Ninja Turtles, by the way. I, I don't know them all, but they are like, you know. Uh, but, but, anyway, so, but, 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 he, but he, he is, I mean, how powerful is this angel of Persia that he is able to restrain an angel of the order of Gabriel? But that's not all. Then Michael, one of our chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Michael who battled Satan. Michael who thwarted Satan. Michael sees Gabriel not making any spiritual progress in that battle. And Michael has to swoop in to be able to kind of unleash him from the restraints of the, of the angel of Persia. And, and after that happens, then Gabriel says, And now I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future. For the vision concerns a time yet to come. No wonder Daniel is trembling in his shoes at the not only the sight of an angel, but even this very message of an angel. It's like, whoa, if you had just given me the message 
I think I would have fallen down like a dead man. But now that you told me that you had to battle evil angels and it required the archangel Michael to come in there and, and kind of you know, allow you to be set free, what in the world is going on all around me right now? And again, if we could just open our eyes and be able to see, wow, what it is that we would begin to appreciate. Now, I love what, what Hebrews says in Hebrews 12. You've not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. In other words, he's saying, you've not even come to that. You know what that was? That was Mount Sinai. Massive mountain on fire with the rumblings of the Lord, with the sonic booms of the voice of the Lord, with peals of thunder, with lightning striking among it. Uh, so much so that, that all trembled in fear to go nowhere near that mountain as God himself broke through into our plane and descended upon that mountain. He's saying, that the Hebrews writer is saying to the church, you've not come to that. Because in other words, that, that is as if, let's say, the great May Day parades of Red Square, or the great Rose Bowl parades of Pasadena, that would be kind of like you lining up for the cafeteria line in second grade. Like that, that's all that that is. Could you imagine having been at Mount Sinai at that? But he's saying, no, 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 that's not what you're here at right now. You know what you're here at right now, he goes on to say? You have come not to Mount Sinai, but to Mount Zion. Mount Zion is always the symbol of the new covenant. The place of the sacrifice of the Son of God. The place of the fulfillment of the eternal purposes of God for nothing less than the, the predestined redemption of every one of you. But you have come to that, to Mount Sinai, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. The word there, myriad, myriads, is just the biggest words that we've got in the Greek to describe the massive number of angels that have gathered in a, a really interesting word, into festival or, or, or a, a fest celebration of just raucous, excited, exuberant, enthusiastic celebration. This is what we've walked into. How amazing is, is this that he's describing? You've come to this joyful celebration to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. We studied church history this weekend, and one of the people that we studied was Clement of Rome. And we saw there in Philippians 4, when Paul commends him, and he says, and also greet my, my brother Clement, and then it says this about him, whose name is written in the book of life. Like, how would you love to have that said about you in the Bible? It is. Right here. You who have gathered with the myriad myriads of angels... Some, some count that number way beyond trillions based on the kind of the accounting of that number in, uh, I think it's Revelation 5, 
where, where that number is given again. You've come to trillions of angels, you've come to the firstborn, and you've come to those whose names are written in the book of life, whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Unbelievable that this is the reality that we have as church. And of course, Paul then reiterates, now through the church, the brilliant wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. This is what we get to do. We get to send a message to those spiritual powers in the heavenly realms. We get to perhaps be a tipping point or a source of encouragement. We, we get to do something that actually makes a real difference, that sends a message that Jesus' purposes are not in vain. Look at the church. It has flourished. Look at the diversity. It is working. Look at the redemption by the blood of Christ. It counts for something. And you may think that, ah, but you know what? I don't know what it is that, that I get to offer right now. You know, I don't know where you're at right now. Perhaps you're going through a really difficult time, a, a, a time of, of maybe even physical ailment and discouragement of some sort or another. But you know what? You're here. You're here in the midst of that. You're here and you're giving. You're not here with arms folded, rebuffing anyone that's trying to have fellowship with you. The fact that you have all that's going on in your life and you are reveling in this festal celebration with those who are names are written in, in heaven and, and among those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ and that, that this is your joy tonight. Guess what you provide to that cosmic conflict in the heavenly realms? You are a source of inspiration. I don't know what they're doing. I don't get all of that, of course. But I do know that to be able to look at someone who's going through that and rises above for the sake of the body of Christ, I would imagine the angels are like, fight on, fight on, men. This thing is worth it. Let's go. If there were any females mentioned, I would have said men and women, but you know, it can only be so gender inclusive. You know, some of you are really quite heroic, and yet you don't give yourselves credit for it. There's some of you that decided you're going to trust Jesus even with your love life. And you've been single now quite some time. But rather than compromise on the holiness standards of the Bible, and to recognize that Jesus says, even in 1 Corinthians 7, marry anyone you want, but he must belong to the Lord. That you've not compromised on that, and yet you could have. Time and time again. You could have made that compromise and had all the kind of the worldly accoutrements of happiness and white picket fence and 2.3 kids and all of that sort of stuff. But you chose instead to honor Jesus. And that for you, Jesus has been enough. You don't think that emboldens those who need to see it in the midst of that spiritual battle? Bravo! Brava! Praise God! That's astounding that that is going on. Again and again, 
You all are making choices that are so counterintuitive and so countercultural. And, and all of those things are, again, the fodder for the fight for those that are engaged in this spiritual warfare. So don't think that whatever it is that you're doing doesn't have much that it counts for. Oh, it counts for plenty. And, and, and usually, those of us that have the most challenges in life, you also have what I, I call the most uh, potential for inspiration quotient. Right? I mean, if, if, if you've got good health and everything's gone your way and everything's kind of secure from a, a worldly standpoint, well, if, if you just decide to come to midweek, well, I don't think the angels are like, whoa, oh my God, I didn't know they were coming to midweek. And they came. Oh my God. Fight on, man. Fight on. He's here. I can't believe he made it. Man, who knew? But for those of you where, where even something like this is, is really just quite a challenge. And you choose to be part of the body of Christ. You choose to participate in the church of Jesus Christ in whatever fashion or form is made available to you despite the, the hurdles that are before you. Oh my goodness, what an encouragement that that really is. Now, of course, for those of us who have an easier time, I think we ought to still be inspiring. It's just, it, it needs to be something that, that, that is commensurate with all that has been given to us. Because to whom much has been given, much is demanded, Jesus says. And, and to, to be thankful that, that it is that we have this. But I think wherever we are in, in all of this spectrum, know that you have a significant life that goes far beyond anything you could begin to imagine. And that when the new heaven and the new earth are all made manifest, and we enter into that, we're going to really be flabbergasted to realize, really? Like, that mattered on that day? Really? That, that's what gave you the strength to fight on? Really? That's what you were fighting for at that very moment? Am I, wow. Wow. I never could have imagined. And yet, somehow or another, all of this is what's going on right now. And Paul points to us as being cosmically consequential. Seriously significant in the, in the spiritual warfare that engages all about us. Let's go ahead and break to our groups and just think about this question. What do you want to do tomorrow knowing that you are being live streamed to thousands upon thousands in the heavenly realms? What could you do? What would you want to do tomorrow, knowing that that is the reality? And if we do set our mind on things above rather than things below, we can begin to appreciate that. And out of joy, realize, I get to send a message to show what grace has meant in my life. Amen. Let's go ahead and break to our small groups.